Well, our sermon text today is a, is a short one, to say the least. It's really, technically, it's only one verse long. We're going to look at some verses around it to give it some context. Uh, we're going to spend a couple Sundays, uh, being that the uh, 500th anniversary of the beginning of the Protestant Reformation is coming up in just over a, a week. Next Sunday is technically Reformation Sunday, the closest Sunday to October 31st. You all thought it was just about candy and dressing up in costumes. Uh, not quite. Uh, but I thought it would be good for us with that big anniversary coming up to spend a couple Sundays looking at a, uh, a theme from Scripture that was maybe the most prominent doctrine associated with the Reformation, and that is justification by faith alone. And so I thought what we would do is spend a couple Sundays looking at what I'm calling justification in the Old Testament, uh, just a couple texts. Uh, this, this one is uh, in Genesis chapter 15, uh, this is one of the key doctrines of the Reformation. We often, to use the Latin phrase, call this one of the five solas. Sola is, uh, is the Latin for alone or only. And uh, the one for this is sola fide, or faith alone. And so we're going to spend this Sunday and next looking at uh, these things. A couple texts regarding justification. It can never be a bad idea, I think, to uh, refresh ourselves, kind of uh, refresh our memory on what these things are, what this uh, doctrine is. And uh, often we look at the New Testament with good reason for these things, but I thought, why not look back to where Paul and the New Testament writers, where they themselves point us to when looking at this doctrine? Because where is it? They point us back to the Old Testament. They don't, as, as Rob was mentioning uh, before his prayer uh, just a little while ago, that justification by faith is not some New Testament doctrine out of, out of whole cloth that, that the Apostle Paul dreamed up or, or, or that God somehow... Uh, changed how salvation was going to be administered and, and done in the New Testament, really it's the same as it's always ever been. Uh, no, no one has ever in the history of humanity ever been saved except for by the grace of God alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There will never be a single soul in heaven who was not saved the same way as you and I. They looked forward to the Christ that was to come and all he was going to do for our salvation. We look back to the Christ who has already come and accomplished uh, our salvation. So anyway, I thought we'd look at these two texts. This week today is uh, Genesis 15. We're going to spend most of our time on verse 6, but for the sake of context, we're going to read the first six verses of, of Genesis chapter 15, and I'll invite you to stand if you're able to do so for the reading of God's holy word. Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. Give ear to the reading of God's holy word. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless in the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, uh, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Verse 6, And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Again, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands 
forever. Let's, let's pray and ask God's blessing upon his word to us today. Heavenly Father, once again we come to you. Uh, we thank you for giving us your scriptures that point us to the way of redemption through faith in Christ, your son. We thank you for sending him after all that time of, uh, of teaching and foreshadowing and prophesying his, his coming and his work of redemption and his glory. And we ask uh, here today again that you would teach us by your spirit, work in us by your Holy Spirit to give us eyes to see and ears to hear great things from your word. Strengthen us in our most holy faith, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, Genesis 15.6 is the first of these two texts we're going to look at. Lord willing, next week we're going to look at uh, a, a book you may not have looked at much, Habakkuk versus, uh, verse 4 of chapter 2. But this morning we're looking at Abram, Abraham's faith, where it says there in verse 6 that he, Abraham, he believed the Lord and he counted it, he being God, counted it to him as righteousness. Now, it, it's kind of remarkable. It shouldn't be surprising at all, but it's kind of remarkable if you think about it, how often the, the apostles, the writers of the New Testament, when they want to establish a doctrine, almost whatever doctrine it is they want to teach, where do they point us? The scriptures of the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. It, that's the case in practically everything. You, you almost see nothing out of, it might not even be an exaggeration to say you see nothing out of whole cloth in the New Testament. That What's the old saying that's attributed to, to Augustine? That you know, what is in the, the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed, and what is in the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. Same message from front to back, from start to finish. One explains the other, but it's all, it's all one one message in, in a lot of ways. Well, now think about, for example, not that this is the subject of our, of our message this morning, but the, the doctrine of election, of God's sovereign grace and the salvation of sinners. When you read Romans chapter 9, and you start you know, seeing what, what it is that Paul says about that great doctrine, uh, where does Paul, in a sense, get that doctrine from? Where, or where does he point us to to establish it? He certainly doesn't say, I know you've never heard this before, and it's never been said in the Old Testament. He didn't, he didn't call it the Old Testament, but he, he didn't say, hey, there's this new thing that God's revealed to me that it's not in the Old Testament, not in the Hebrew Scriptures, but I'm going to tell it to you. What does he do? In Romans 9, he spends half the chapter saying, okay, look at Genesis. He points us to the patriarchs, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He points us to the historical books, frankly. He gets doctrine, he pulls doctrine rightly, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, from history. He says, look what God did back then. Look at Abram or Abraham. How was Abraham saved? God chose him. Abraham was a pagan. He wasn't looking for the Lord. And then he points us to Isaac and says, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't Ishmael, it was Isaac that was the one in whose seed Abraham would be called. And then he goes to the twins, to Jacob and Esau. And he says, look, God picked one. Before they were even born, God chose Abraham, or God chose uh, Jacob. He loved Jacob and Esau. He, he hated. And then what does he do? He goes further than that, and he points us to Pharaoh. You can read, this, read the chapter on your own uh, over lunch. He, he points us to Pharaoh and says, look, for this reason, I've raised you up to show my glory. In other words, he shows both re election, God's grace and salvation, and reprobation, which is a much... Uh, un more, even more unpopular doctrine, but, but Paul says, hey, 
This is all through your Old Testament. You know, look, look it up for yourselves. Paul's, Paul's saying, look, you know, Paul the Apostle, the authority of Christ himself, given to him as an apostle, still bases his teachings, the authority of his teachings, on the scriptures. He's not teaching anything new uh, at, at all. Well, the same holds true with Paul's inspired teachings regarding justification by faith alone. He shows at every turn that this is not some new thing that's only in the, old, the New Testament uh, era. When he wants to establish this essential truth of the gospel of Christ, he points us, frankly, over and over again to the Old, to the old Testament. And here in, in our text, specifically to the story of, of the salvation of, of Abraham. Now, I think Rob mentioned it already, but this, this one verse, Genesis 15, 6, it must be awfully important. It's quoted or alluded to at least three times in the New Testament. Here in our text, in Romans, uh, our text is, is quoted in Romans 4, verse 3. It's quoted as a, Rob read in, in Galatians 3, verse 6, and then again in James chapter 2, verse 23. And, and in every one of those contexts, the subject was justification. So it's not an accident, it's not a coincidence uh, that, that this verse is, is seen so much uh, by us as teaching just, just that. This verse, Genesis 15:6, was intended by the Lord by his inspiration of the scriptures to teach us the way of salvation in Christ. It's not just about the history of Abraham's personal uh, relationship with the Lord. It's meant to teach us today the way of salvation in Christ. In fact, at the very end of Romans chapter 4, not where he quotes this verse, but where he explains the quote kind of, in, uh, in Roman, the end of Romans 4, it's Romans 4, 23 to 25, he kind of refers back to this verse, explaining it. He says, but the words, it was counted to him, right from our passage, the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. Now, it wasn't for Abraham's benefit, right, that it was written. He says, these words were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. For your benefit and for mine, these were written. He says, why? It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. He, he said, Paul is saying, the reason it was written is to teach us the way of justification. That just as Abraham was justified by faith, uh, us also, we who believe in Christ, it will be counted to us as righteousness as well. Paul says that in no, no uncertain terms. So seeing that these words in Genesis 15:6 were written literally for our sake, because it will also be counted righteousness to us to believe in Christ, I thought we should spend some time this morning re-familiarizing re, re, uh, ourselves with this uh, great and important text from the Old Testament, a gospel text from the Old Testament. Now, thankfully, as we've already seen, we have, uh, you know, very often when I'm preparing to preach, uh, you know, I'll do translating, I'll look at commentaries, I'll look at commentaries, and I say, okay, you know, uh, not, not to base your teaching on it, but to say, am I off in left field somewhere? You know, am I following kind of the same train of thought as some of the Reformed thinkers, uh, the great minds that have come, come before us, that have lent us their wisdom? Well, we have something even better than that. Nothing wrong with commentaries per se, but we have 
the scriptures, the New Testament scriptures, give us the New Testament's commentary on the old, on this text. And so we'd be silly not to avail ourselves of that as we go through this verse to understand it rightly. And the first thing that we need to look at here in our text in Genesis 15:6 is Abraham's faith. Abraham's faith. In this chapter, we're told what? That Abram, quote, believed the Lord. Now, uh, the King James Version actually renders this a little bit better, in my opinion, when it says he believed in the Lord. The, the preposition in is in the Hebrew text. I don't know why certain uh, translations uh, leave it out. The, I mean, the meaning is essentially the same, but I think the, the word in there adds something, uh, a little bit more of a nuance that we, we should find helpful. So it says there, he believed in, in the Lord. And so I think one of the things that teaches us is that Abram uh, did... He did a lot more than just give mental assent to what God had promised. Faith is more than just acknowledging the truth of something. It includes that. Faith must include believing God's word to be true and acknowledging it as such. But faith is much more, saving faith is much more than just agreeing that God's word is, is true. He did more than just believe that what God had said was true, uh, he actually entrusted himself to the Lord on the basis of God's word. And there's a big difference between those two things. The Shorter Catechism, question 86, uh, it gives us a definition of faith in Christ. It's what is faith in Jesus Christ? And it, it defines faith in Christ as receiving and resting upon Christ alone for salvation. Receiving and resting, like putting your weight upon, like you're doing on the chairs right now. You're trusting that these old chairs aren't going to fall apart while you're sitting on them, and so far they've held up uh, okay. Uh, but receiving and resting upon Christ, that's what it means to believe in Christ, to receive him as he's offered to us in the gospel and to put our weight, the weight of our eternal salvation, the hopes of that, upon him. And what, what exactly did Abraham believe? There was content to what Abraham believed. We saw it in the verses that came before, what exactly was the content or the basis of Abraham's faith? We see part of that in the first five verses of the passage in Genesis chapter 15. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And what did he say? Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Other translations say that he himself, God, is your great reward uh, there. But it says, but Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household, you know, not a, not a blood relative, uh, will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them... Uh, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So this is the content of the promise that was made to Abraham here in our chapter. Now, the first thing you might notice is, uh, or at least we should notice, is Abraham's complaint. He makes a, a kind of a complaint to God. Well, that sounds like a dangerous thing to do. He didn't, it's, there's a difference between complaining about God and complaining to God. Complaining about God is unbelief and grumbling. Complaining to God is the only safe course to do. If you're going to complain, that's how you do it. You do it like Abraham did. You, you, you cry his own promises back to him. 
His complaint was what? Oh, Lord God, what will you give me? Strange thing to, to say to the Lord after God promised to be his shield, his great reward. He says, for I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And he said again, behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household shall be my heir. Now, it's easy to read that passage in kind of isolation and think, you know, Abraham, um, you know, he's, a, he's, an, he's an older man. He's, uh, when he first came to know the Lord, he was 75 years old. I'm not sure exactly how old he was here, but uh, in the very next chapter it mentions he was 86. So he's been waiting quite a while, still doesn't have the child that God promised him. And that's, that's the thing. Back in Genesis 12, this is what, what God promised Abraham. He says, I will make of you a great nation. Remember, Abram, 75 years old, no children of his own, and God is promising him to make him a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's a lot of blessing in that, for that passage, right? God promises a great deal of blessing. Um, now, what, what exactly was God promising him there? Sometimes we're, we're tempted to think, I think, wrongly or to look, look at it too short and say, well, he's promising to make a great nation out of him. He made Israel come from, from Abraham, and that was the extent of it. Well, it really wasn't the main point at all. The, the nation of Israel itself, the earthly nation of Israel, was not the end that God had in mind. It was a means to that end, but it wasn't the end in and of itself. And in Galatians chapter 3, that same passage where Paul quotes our text to prove justification, what does he say in Galatians 3 verse 8 he says and the scripture the Old Testament scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith I mean, think about that it, it, Paul's saying so much in that one verse it's kind of hard to wrap your head around it he's saying when you read Genesis you know 12 through through um, 17 or even Genesis 12 in particular uh, he had the church in mind he had the redemption not just of the Jews, but of the Gentiles as well in mind. Because he preached the gospel to Abraham, what? Beforehand. The gospel is not some just New Testament thing at all. The gospel is also in the Old Testament. And how did God preach the gospel to Abraham beforehand? How did he do that? Well, he, he, he explains it to us later on in the passage in Galatians 3 verse 16. He tells us that the promise God made to Abraham back in chapter 12 was about Christ. He says this, Galatians 3.16, he says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, and he adds, who is Christ? Who is the primary offspring that was promised to Abraham. Abraham was promised a son. Was the ultimate fulfillment of that promise Isaac? No. Isaac was a fulfillment of that and was a means to an end of the ultimate fulfillment of that, which is Christ and everyone in him. Everyone who believes is blessed with believing Abraham, he says in Galatians. So, you, you know, the old, I'm not going to sing it, but the old kids song that we used to sing in church, maybe you grew up singing, you know, Father Abraham, have any sons? And all kinds of hand motions and kickings and things that the kids would do. Well, it, it, there's a lot of theology that's right in that song. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. That, that's, 
New Testament theology right there, that God had many, given many sons to Abraham. If you, were, if you were of the faith of Abraham, you are a child, spiritually speaking, not just of God, but in a sense also of Abraham as well. And now, do you see the reason for Abraham's complaint now? He's not just saying, you know, sometimes I can remember, I'm going to get in trouble for this, but when, when uh, Rebecca and I got married, uh, we had a couple cats. We didn't have kids right away. The first, you know, five minutes we didn't have kids. And, and uh, so her, I remember her father, Don, saying something. He'll probably never hear this right. Uh, saying, uh, who's he going to take to Disneyland? These cats? You know, what, what's the holdup? You know, he actually made some comment about what he pictured himself taking cats to Disneyland because he didn't have grandkids. It was like, come on, the clock's ticking, guys. Let's go, you know. Um, that's not what Abraham's doing here. That may be a little part of it. You know, uh, he's, he wasn't getting any younger was the hint, right? Um, but that's not, that's not the substance of his complaint. It really isn't. I mean, he, his complaint was that, that he was waiting for Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. His eternal salvation depended upon that one seed, that offspring, singular, that God had promised to him. And yet he was still waiting for that promised seed who was going to come from his line. He was still childless and he wasn't getting any younger. So, you know, nothing, think about this, without that, without what amounts to his eternal salvation being, being realized, nothing else that God could give Abraham could really give him any joy or any satisfaction. He could have all the blessings imaginable, but if he didn't have that, those blessings really didn't amount to much of anything. You know, God can say he's your shield and your great reward, and that's great. But without that Redeemer, it doesn't really mean, it doesn't really mean a whole lot. Uh, Matthew Henry writes this, the want or the lack, the want of a son was so great a trouble to him that it took away the comfort of all his enjoyments. I mean, God was blessing him, but none of it mattered. All the earthly blessings in the world didn't matter without uh, the, the, the promised seed who was Christ. Now, how different is this for many today who might, I think, seemingly settle for all of the earthly blessings in the world and yet be content without Christ, who was that promised seed or offspring of Abraham? How many in, in our day, even in the church, we want all the blessings? And if God were to give us all the blessings and leave Christ out, some of us would be happy. We'd be content with the, with the gifts and not the giver. And we should never be happy with that. Christ is the chief blessing. What, is, what does Paul say in Romans? He says, you know, if he has given us his son, how will he not also with him give us all things graciously? Um, he's given us the greatest thing. And so the other things uh, that come along with it, they, they pale in comparison, but God certainly doesn't hold out on us if he has given us Christ. And so the Lord reiterated in, that, in our text, he reiterated his promise to Abraham. And he kind of, uh, if I can use the analogy that people often use now, God kind of doubles down on the promise. He repeats it, but he also kind of expands on, on the promise. He says in verses 4 to 5, This man, Eliezer, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, you know, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said, So shall your offspring be. I mean, that's the context of Abraham's faith here in our passage in Genesis 15, 6. That he entrusted himself to the Lord. He took him at his word. He believed God's promise despite all the circumstances in his life that pointed to the contrary. That's, that's, that's what kind of faith, that's kind of what faith has to be. 
You know, there are many things in this world around us, in your lives and mine, that can tend to try to tell us and convince us that God's word is going to fail. That, or that God's word somehow has failed. Or that God can't be trusted. Our, we need the eyes of faith sometimes to over, overlook the eyes uh, of the flesh, which only see the limitations and things that are in our way in this life. Well, he, he believed God's promise. He rested upon the word of God concerning Christ, who was yet to come for his salvation. And so the next, the next thing we see in our text is the justification of Abraham. We've seen the faith of Abraham. Now we see Abraham's justification in verse 6 again. Uh, we're told that Abraham, what, believed the Lord or believed in the Lord. And then what happened? Kind of seems like a strange uh, conclusion. It says, he believed in the Lord and he, God, the Lord, counted it to him as righteousness. That's justification. That's what, what that phrase is talking about. Abraham took God at his word and trusted himself to God's promise. And the Lord, quote, counted it to him as righteousness. What was it that the Lord counted or reckoned to Abraham as righteousness? What does the text say? His faith. He believed in the Lord. And what did God do because of that? He counted it, it to him as righteousness. What, what did he not count to Abraham as his righteousness? His deeds, his actions, his acts of obedience to God's command. I mean, God told him, you know, get up from your home and go. Go, go to a place where I'm going to show you. You know, most of us would be like, can you give me a little more information than that? You know, can you give me, where, where exactly are we going and how exactly are we getting there? And God says, get up, get up and go. And he got up and went. But it doesn't say, and God counted that to him as righteousness. Now, the book of Hebrews would tell us that it took faith for him to do those things. But it wasn't the doing of those things that, that caused God to count him as righteous. It wasn't circumcision. Paul makes a great deal out of that, that, that circumcision didn't come until Genesis chapter 17. Where, where, was, where was Abraham counted righteous? Chapter 15, two whole chapters, years and years before circumcision was instituted by, by the Lord. He reckoned Abraham, a sinner, as righteous. Why? By his faith. That is speaking of justification. Now what, the $10, big $10 theological word, what is justification? You probably know what I'm going to say already. Uh, the Shorter Catechism, question 33. If you ever are going to memorize something besides question 1, which most of us do have memorized, memorize question 33. Get this one down, commit it to memory, think upon it, because it, it really tells you a lot about the gospel. It says this, what is justification? Shorter Catechism 33. What is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons, you know, forgives, all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight, just like Abraham, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. So forgiveness, there's two parts to justification. And they, they both go to, they're flip sides of the same coin. Forgiving all of our sins. Abraham was a sinner. Correct? Was Abraham a sinless human being? No. No one except Christ has ever lived a sinless, perfectly sinless and obedient life forgives all of his sins, and on top of that, accepts him as righteous in his sight. Accepting you as righteous in the sight of God is not just seeing you as sinless. 
Forgiving you means God no longer treats you as your sins deserve. Your sins have been paid in full by Christ by his death. But what does it mean to be counted as righteous? Being counted as righteous is not some negative concept where God looks at you and says, okay, you you don't have any marks against you. You don't have any sins. You, You don't if you've been forgiven. What does it mean to actually be righteous? To be seen as righteous in God's sight is to be seen as if not only that you have never sinned, but as if you always did his will and obeyed him in all things. That was what was accounted to Abraham. That is a a crucial part of justification. If I can use another theological term, that's what theologians talk about when they talk about the active and passive obedience of Christ. They're both part of your salvation. His passive, passive as the idea of suffering. Everything Christ suffered for your salvation, including his death on the cross and everything else before it, is a part of his passive obedience on your behalf. But he also, in addition to dying in your place, if you're a Christian, he lived in your place. He obeyed in your place. It's that righteousness, that track record, so to speak, of perfect, spotless righteousness, never sinning and always living to do God's will. That's what's accounted to you by faith in Christ. A perfect track record. Not just a lack of sin, which that's a huge part of it too. Not just forgiveness, as important as that is. But perfect righteousness is accounted to you by faith. Abraham was forgiven for all of his sins by faith in the Christ who was to come. But he was also accepted by God as righteous in the sight of a holy God. And how was that? By faith. By faith in the Lord. Now, what is it about faith? Why is it by faith? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever wondered why is, why is it always through faith? Why do we have to be saved by grace through faith alone? Why, is that such, why did the Reformation make such a big deal out of that? Why do we still make that such a big deal? Why do we, uh, in, in opposition to the Roman Catholic Church and others, say that it cannot be faith plus something else? It cannot be grace plus something else. It can't be faith plus works which is really what the Roman Catholic uh, Church teaches. Why is it that faith and faith alone is counted as righteousness? A.W. Pink, some of you know who that is. He writes this, And this faith, speaking of Abraham's faith, this faith was reckoned or counted to him, unto him for righteousness, not that faith is accepted by God in lieu of righteousness as an equivalent for righteousness, else faith would be a meritorious thing. But that faith is the recipient. It's the recipient of that righteousness by which we are justified. The force of the preposition is unto rather than instead of. In other words, he says it was counted to him unto or for righteousness. So what he's saying is it's not that God says, oh, you have faith. And faith is such a great thing in and of itself that that makes you righteous. It's not that faith is a meritorious accomplishment on your part or mine. It's just the opposite. In fact, Pink continues, he says, The faith which was counted for righteousness was the faith, with, was the faith which believed what God had said concerning the promised seed. It was faith in a particular thing God had promised. It was this instance of Abram's faith which the Holy Spirit was pleased to select as the model For believing unto justification, there is no justification apart from Christ. In other words, God's promise that Abraham believed was very specific. And it was about Christ himself and what Christ was going to do as our 
Redeemer. So faith is not meritorious before God. It doesn't earn anything. It doesn't deserve righteousness. It is not accepted, as Pink said, in lieu of or in place of a perfect track record of righteousness. But it's God's chosen instrument of justification. In other words, faith is the way that God has ordained for us to receive the righteousness of Christ himself. In fact, it has to be through faith alone in order that that it might be by grace alone. Paul says this specifically and explicitly in Romans 4.16. He says this, that is why it depends on faith. Why? In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. It has to be by faith so that it might be by grace. Any other way of receiving justification and and righteousness that's not by faith would inherently not be by grace. Faith, basically, what is is the, remember the catechism definition of faith? Faith receives, receives and rests upon what? Christ, Christ alone for salvation. Faith doesn't rest upon yourself or your own doings or accomplishments or any such thing, but on Christ himself. Look at Paul's interpretation of our text back here in Genesis. He says the Holy Spirit in Galatians inspired it to be written the way that it was. Why? Exactly to teach us the gospel doctrine of justification by faith alone. That's why Galatians 3.16 says, you know, talks about the gospel that was preached to Abraham beforehand and that promised seed, again, Galatians 3.16, was speaking of Christ. The promise to Abraham, the gospel to Abraham, involved Christ himself. That's what Paul tells us in his interpretation of this passage and of Genesis chapter 12 as well. Well, getting back to, to Paul's use of Genesis 15.6, again, what does he say in Romans 4 through 5? He says, what does the scripture say? It's a good question to ask whenever you're going to try to demonstrate any kind of doctrine. What does the Bible teach? What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now the one, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift. They're not counted as grace, right? But as his due. And when you work, you know, if you have jobs, those of you who work for a living or worked in the past for a living, you know, when you get your paycheck... You generally don't go to your boss and fall at his feet, and he might like that, and and say, oh, thank you for your your kindness and generosity and for this great gift. You know, it's a privilege to work here. You know, thank you. you. If you don't get your paycheck, you have the right to walk into the office and say, hey, I I worked. I I did my work all week. Uh, There's something missing. Where's my paycheck? Well, that's not the way the grace of God and the gospel works. He says, and to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies, Romans 3, 4, and 5, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. In other words, Paul is saying that Genesis, 3, Genesis 15, uh, 6 is there to teach us the gospel. It's there to teach us that not just because, it's not just that there so we go, oh, that's how Abraham was justified. It's to teach us, Here's how you are justified. And the only way you can be justified is the same way as Abraham. Believing in him who justifies the what? The wicked or the ungodly. Now this is not God uh, helping those who help themselves. 
This isn't, this isn't God making up the difference. You know, sometimes when, when the kids want to buy something and they have their allowance, but they don't quite have enough for something. Every once in a while, their uh, not-so-bright parents will say, you know what, I'll chip in the rest and, and get whatever the toy or whatever the thing was they wanted. That's not the gospel. That's a nice thing, right? The gospel is not God justifies those who are just a little bit off. God justifies those who are, they're kind of good, but they've got a few warts, a few blemishes, you know. They've got a really good track record, but they're just falling short of the mark. They've got 95%. They've really been pushed, you know. They've got an A, but you have to have an A-plus to get in. And God kind of, you know, adds a little extra credit to our big pile of, of works. No, he says that God justifies the ungodly or justifies the wicked, Abraham, on his own, you and I, on our own, are ungodly in the sight of a holy God. We have, we have sinned in every possible way in thought, word, and deed in a lot of ways. We, and one sin, one sin, is all it takes to break God's, God's law. And so it's, it's, it's grace, to say the least, that God justifies the ungodly by faith in Christ, by faith that receives and rests upon Christ that's why he counts it righteousness to Abraham and to you and to me, because that righteousness is what's accounted to us. It's not our own. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ him, himself. Salvation is not by works. It's the free gift of God in justifying the ungodly. If you are saved, it's because God justified the ungodly in your life and in mine. He reckons the righteousness of Christ to you and I by faith. And again, what does Paul say at the end of Romans 4? That those things were written, not for Abraham's sake alone, but whose sake? For our sake, for your sake, and for mine, that you and I might also believe in God and have him count that to us as righteousness as well. So I have to ask, have, have you believed God as Abraham? Do you have the faith of Abraham? Have you believed God and had it accounted to you for righteousness? That God justifies the ungodly by, by faith in his son. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the good news of, of justification by faith alone in Christ your Son alone, by your grace alone, that there's no other gospel than that, that we, we cannot come to you on the basis of our own good works. We cannot come to you looking for you to top off or add what's missing to our righteousness because we have nothing of our own. Our, our righteous deeds are as filthy rags in your sight outside of Christ. And we come to you with nothing in our hands uh, to bring, we give you nothing, we bargain nothing. All we can do is receive the gift that you promise in Christ, the gift of forgiveness and the gift of being accepted by you as righteous in your sight, not for anything in us, but only for the righteousness of Christ alone and imputed or accounted to us by faith alone. We thank you for this great, great good news that you give us in your word. We ask that you'd help us to remember these things, to never fall back into trying to trust in our own good deeds, and anything that we do for being held righteous in your sight, but only uh, resting upon Christ and receiving him. And we do pray that if anybody here does not yet know you, that is as of yet still trying to rely on their own good deeds, their own religiosity, whatever the case may be, that you might open their eyes even today, that they might, just as Abraham did, look to you, believe and trust in you, in Christ, and have it accounted to them have the, the righteousness of Christ accounted to them by your grace, by faith alone, that they might have salvation, forgiveness, and all those things that come only through faith in Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.